It is very good to see you. Man, I tell you what, we start off with a, a Sunday with a lot of different activity going on. The weather being a little crazy. Thank you, Jono, very much. I mean, the weather has been crazy, but apparently they shut down 526. Um, because, I mean, I guess there's probably a rumor that it, there might be a misting that will occur someplace in the Charleston area, and we, we needed to make sure that we got it all safe, no misting, no temperature, you know, so, yeah, so 526 is shut down, so you're here. Just enjoy it, just kind of lean into it, okay? It, this is our beginning of our Transform series, and uh, we're excited about it because we really believe God's going to work through it in each and every one of our lives over the next seven weeks, we're going to be using this as our theme verse. It's Romans 12, 2. The Apostle Paul said this, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That there's something about the renewing of our mind that determines how we live. Right now, we're living in a culture where our feelings are determining our actions. We have thoughts about how things are going on, how we feel personally, and we're responding out of feelings. We may evaluate our marriage based upon feelings. But what Paul says is that the real transformation, the real power comes when we are transformed by the way that we think and that the effect of those thoughts begin to affect our feelings. And then those feelings begin to get changed and how we respond to other people in our lives begins to change. So we're going to be focusing on what are we thinking? Because we're in a culture right now that we're not really all, all sure what we're thinking. And I can tell you, we're not all thinking the same things. That there's a lot of thoughts, a lot of things pressing up against us. We all have feelings about COVID, maybe a little less science, but more feelings. We have feelings about society, maybe a little bit less order than, and structure, but more about feelings. We have feelings about people of the other color or people of a different gender or people of a different age. We all, we're, we're supercharged on feelings and we've kind of lost our structure socially. But also that happens in a marriage when we get driven by feelings in relationships, what's, how we respond to hurt. So the Apostle Paul saw real strength and was inspired by God to, to begin to challenge the root directory of thought, how we think about things, how what we focus on in our lives, and that if we could begin to change the way that we think, that our feelings would change, and even if they didn't change, we at least would know what they are, and we could give them the right and proper value. So we're going to be taking a look at the principle of Romans 12 too and apply it to seven different areas of our lives. We wanna be changed the way that we think about every aspect of our life. So we're gonna be looking at our spiritual life, we're gonna be looking at our physical life, our mental life, our emotional life, our, our relational lives, our financial life, and even our vocational life. Because there are ways that we think in every one of these little niches of thoughts, niches of life that needs to be challenged, needs to be aligned with the principles of God if we're going to experience the best that God wants us to have in our lives. So it's going to challenge us over the next seven years. I mean seven years, next seven, <laughs> next seven weeks. It feels like seven years, but it's going to challenge us. Um, we're going to be in this process of transformation where God begins to apply principles to us that are going to challenge us and transform us into what he wants. It's going to be a transformation time that changes us from emptiness to fullness. You know, that's a big one because I think I've drunken from every well that society has to offer and found out that they all come up empty. I think I've tried every different thing that you can do to feel good about you and about your life and, and found that they come up empty. But rather, I want a transformation that brings fullness to my soul, that fills me up with God thoughts, with God principles. Transformation changes us from defeat and failure into faith and victory. Man, I have experienced this over the last, uh, not only the last year, but the last six months, even in the last six weeks, how if God can change my mind about something, if I will let him speak into my mind about what my thoughts are about marriage, about pain, about injury, about people who are different than me, if I will allow him to speak, it's incredible how it changes your life and brings a sense of faith and victory. 
Transformation changes us from insecurity and inferiority to being courageous and having boldness in our lives. So that's what we're here for. We're to get closer to God, to, to grow in these things. And everybody that has ever grown with God has experienced this transformation. It's God's way. Any other gospel that you have heard preached in America, of which I am part of the problem, that says that you just believe in God and everything's just going to work out. Make sure you just marry a Christian person. Just make sure, you know, you give a certain amount of money. Just make sure that you do all this stuff. And, and those are all good principles at face uh, value. But transformation has to happen to every single one of us. We want to be, in our society, we want to be fixed, but we don't want to have to do any process in it. As a baby boomer, we want new knees. We want a knee replacement. Give me a new, doctor, give me a new replacement. And then we ask the doctor, will I be able to play soccer like I did when you were 30? Like when I was 30? And the doctor responds, well, you sucked at 30. Is that what we're going for? Because yeah, we could do that again. Well, it's like, well, you got a pill that will fix it or make me feel better about my injury. But what God offers us and everyone that's ever walked with him is the power of transformation. The apostle Paul was misdirected and misguided in the purpose of his life. And he undergoes transformation. The prophet Isaiah was incredibly depressed looking at his country and looking at the situation of his country and was just over, downcast with depression and was transformed when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and it gave him strength into his life. Moses, the great leader leading the Israelites out of Egypt, was overwhelmed with insecurity and feeling unqualified to live the life that God was calling to him, him to. But God took him to a process of transformation where he became one of the greatest leaders in human history. One of the things that I've noticed is that closeness, closeness to God seems to be the quotient that determines um, how we will face and experience life. You know, um, now I'm going to say something, I'm going I'm to fix it right after I say it. Okay, because it's been said in churches all around America and it's been taken the wrong way a thousand and a million times. So I'm going to say it because there is some element of truth to it and there is need some element of correction. And that will be this. The further away you get from God, the more trouble is experienced and harder to manage. Okay? The more you get away from God, the more trouble you experience and the harder it is to manage. Now, I want to just tell you right away that if anybody has sold you a bill of goods that once you become a Christian, your dishwasher won't break and you won't get COVID and you won't struggle in your marriage and you won't have bad thoughts, that's a misrepresentation of it. We experience life just like anybody else. Now, there are some troubles I won't experience. I'll, I'll tell you, and this can be kind of like weird, but you know, I like... I'm never going to have to worry about, like when I was 18, everybody said, don't have sex because you're going you're gonna to catch something, you know, an STD, a sexually transmitted disease. Well, I'll tell you what, I will never have that trouble. You say, well, what? And he's like, yeah, I'll never have the trouble because it's me and my wife and it's only me and my wife and it's only been me and my wife and that's the way it is. And so there's a trouble right there that I will never experience because of walking in the principles of God. How about alcoholism? there's a really small chance that I will ever have to deal personally with the issue of alcoholism. Why? I probably drink about three times um, a year. Some of you, you're astounded that I drink at all. Some of you are astounded that I don't drink more. Uh, so, well, good. As long as I can astound you today, that's what I was shooting for. But, you know, no, I decided that, yeah, Christmas is pretty cool. And then that one other time when you're out fishing with a buddy or, or whatever it is. But it's like, no, alcohol will not be a resident of my life. It may be something I taste once in a while, but it's not. I, so I will never deal with that, that particular addiction in my life. So there are some principles that when we live according to the principles of God, there are some troubles we do dodge. But then there are the troubles that we all experience. And let me just say, I want to apologize to you here today because when COVID first happened, there were a lot of people, and I'm not pointing at our church, I'm talking about people at large, that if you got COVID, it meant you weren't walking with God. That you were just going to trust God and that, it, that you know, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to 
vaccinated. I'm not going to get a mask. I'm not going to do anything like that. And, and it's because God's going to keep me healthy. Well, well, you know, it's great to now know, and I love it, that just about the whole populace of the United States has had COVID. So, so if you think that having God in your life makes you dodge things in your life and you've been shamed about that, because I know I've been a part of church for a while, that all of a sudden you have a marital problems. It's like, well, they're not walking with the Lord. You know, if you have uh, sickness in your life, well, if you just believed God more, you know, if you had more faith, I'm here to tell you, you know what? There are just some things that happens. It rains on the just and the unjust and we all experience life. But I can promise you this, that the closer that you are with God, um, the stronger you will be going through the adversity in your life. I should be a drug addict right about now. I really should. Based upon averages of men who have bad backs and ruptured discs, I should be hooked on Oxycontin and my life should be coming to a really quick end right about now. And I could have headed on that. I'm not better than that. But because of my closeness with God, he has led me, led me to a place of where pain is, is kind of leaving my body and he's led me into some ways to, to get better. And so those are choices that every one of us makes. Do we want to be closer to God? Do we want to walk in God's principles? Because some things can get better and all things can be lived through if you have God with you. So the closer I get to God, the more my life will be transformed. So we all want to be closer to God. And I think we wouldn't be here if we did want to be closer to God, but we need to know something about ourselves. And this is a real honesty Sunday. We need to be honest to ourselves that we tend to all stray. Don't we? Don't our minds kind of wander? Isaiah said it in 50, uh, Isaiah 53.3. He said this. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned into our own way. It seems to be what we do as humans. We wander. You know, think about the last two years. Haven't we wandered? I mean, we were focused five years ago. Maybe, remember 9-11? And remember, we came out of 9-11. I mean, we were all going down to the recruiter and signing up. We were all just like America. We were all flying the, the American flag. We were all united together. We were all like strong and, and united. And, and then now, you know, 20 years go by and, and it's kind of like now we're at a place now, what are we? Who are we? What, what are we about? What, what do we believe? What, and, and we've kind of all wandered into our own different ways of thinking about our lives. We tend to wander, and sheep is not a compliment from God. When God says that we are the sheep of his pasture, he's not saying, yeah, you're a sheep, um, you know, I th- or shep, uh, or whatever the, the singular of that is. But you, you are, you're, you're awesome. And he's like, no, no, no you're, you're sheep, you wander. Sheep wander right into the, the den of the coyotes. Sheep wander right off to the cliff. Sheep just wander. And I think it's, fair to say that over the last two years as Americans, as Christians, that we have to do the honest work and say that, yeah, I think I've wandered. I think my back pain and the adversities that I experienced over the last two years, yeah, I wandered in it. I think in the difficulty, I think I've wandered away from some God principles in my life. And every one of us, if we're honest, to some degree have wandered away from what God is calling us to do. So what this series is going to be about is getting back closer to God, connecting with God, being closer with him, walking with him, and staying in relationship with him, and experiencing the transformation that comes with that. So Jesus tells a great story. And I tell you what, I just looked at this story, and it's one of the most famous stories. It's called the story of the prodigal son. It's not named by Jesus. That's what people call it. Um, It's actually the story of a father with two sons. That's really what it's about. But when Jesus tells you a story, you really need to listen to that story. Okay? I mean, seriously, I I was thinking about this is the second person of the Trinity in flesh telling a story. It's like you hear all kinds of stories in America about, about our past, about our history, about your past, about your history, about your color, about your gender, about all that we hear. We're a people just, there's so many stories out there in America right now. We got a wandering of stories. We need to get back to the story, the story that defines all of us, that gives hope to all of us, that directs all of us, that gives value to all of us. So when Jesus tells a story, 
Let that be the story. Let that be the one that directs your life. So in this story, he's going to tell us about the creator. He's going to tell us about the heavenly father using this story about a father and his sons. But it's going to be a story about wandering. It's going to be a story about you and me. And then it's going to be in the middle of the story, you're going to find that in your wandering, that a transformational moment, a thought can come into your head that can lead you back to where God wants you to be. So let me read the story to you, and then I'll, we'll, we'll stop for a little bit and look at some of the key points of it. In Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus went on to say, there was once a man who had two sons, and the younger one said, said to the father, father, give me my share of the property now. So the man divided his property between his two sons. After a few days, the younger son sold his part of the property and left home with the money. He went into a country far away where he wasted his money in reckless living, and he spent everything he had. Then a severe famine spread over the country, and he was left without a thing. So he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him out to his farm to take care of the pigs. He wished he could fill himself with, with the bean pods the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything to eat. At last, he came to his senses and said, all my father's hired hands have more than they can eat, and here I am about to starve. I will get up and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against you, or against God and against you, and I am no longer fit to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired workers. So he got up and started back to his father. This is beautiful. He was still a long way from home when his father saw him. His heart was filled with pity, and he ran and threw his arms around his son and kissed him. Father, the son said, I have sinned against God and against you, and I am no longer fit to be called your son. But the father kind of interrupts him and, and called his servants and said, hurry, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Then go and get the prize calf and kill it. Let us celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's been found. And so the feast began. What an amazing story. Remember, it's not fantasy. It's the story Jesus tells. So all the other fantasy stories, all the other personal stories of your life, let them bow before this one story. This is the story that God tells. So this kid starts off and he says, Dad, or we could say God in this context of what we can learn from it, but Father, I want you to give what's rightfully mine. It's all about me. Give me mine now. You know, boy, it's the exposure of self-centeredness. And I don't know about you over the last two years, if there's been anything exposed in American culture, if there's anything that's been exposed in me, is that the threat to my personal autonomy has made me angry and demand mine. And that's exactly where this young man was. Self-centered. Give me mine now. I want it. Have you ever said that to God? I think a lot of us maybe gave church a try once or twice because we thought if we went to church and we said to God, I, I need you to fix... I need you to fix my dog. I need you to heal my marriage. I need you to fix, give me that job. And then when it didn't happen exactly the way that we wanted in the timing, we said, God's not real. I tried it. And so we enter with the self-centeredness, not really wanting God, but wanting the fix that God can provide. And so this young man, self-centered, it's all about him, about his personal libertarian rights. And, and that's not a political statement. It's just a philosophical word. But it's the idea that I want mine and I want it now. You gotta admit, in the last two years, you've at least felt that once. So he takes off and he packs up and he goes to Vegas. I was gonna say Myrtle Beach, but you know what? Can I tell you, if you're gonna screw up with God and if you're gonna blow it all, just go past Myrtle Beach, 
Go past Gatlinburg. Don't stop at Gatlinburg, Dolly World. Go all the way to Vegas, all right? I mean, if you're really going to just blow it all, Vegas is the place to go. So, so that's where this, some of you are smiling like you have blown it in Vegas. Well, you're in a good place. You're a good place. Look for the end of the story. It's going to be awesome. But he wastes all of his money and his time and his energy on wine, women, and song. He gets really messed up. He ends up finding himself homeless. Okay, so it all didn't work out, and he's, you know, in a bad place. Then on top of that, the nation goes into a national recession because there's a famine in the land. (laughs) I just see the correlation between us, America, and this story personal rights being challenged, getting angry about who's telling me to do what. I want mine now. And and then on top of that, we're not finding satisfaction in marriage. We're we're confused about sexuality. We're confused about, uh, we're we're scared of white people, scared of black people, old people, young people. I mean, it's all just kind of unraveled for everybody, okay? And then on top of that, you got a national, uh, we've got inflation. It's crazy. Toyota just shut down 11 manufacturing plants, 11. It's the first time in the history of Toyota or since they've come into the US, it's the first time 11 plants have shut down because they can't get chips for the cars and that's because something with COVID in China. And it's like, oh my goodness. So therefore the prices of used cars in the last quarter have gone up 27%. Okay, now dealers are trying to buy your used car. I, I, let me just tell you a slide note. My, my 19, uh, 2018 Highlander broke. You know, they don't usually, but it broke, needed a new engine. Took it to the Toyota dealership. It's like, hey, yeah, here's this thing. It's like, I still owe $21,000 on it. It's like, whoa, I'm screwed. I'm paying for a car that needs a new engine. Not cool. They bought it from me for $28,500. They bought it from me. I made... $7,000 off a car that needed a new engine. They said, no problem. We'll fix it up and we'll, send it for, we'll sell it for 36. It's like, that's madness. That's craziness. But you know what? That's what happens in life. That's what happens in, in a country. That's what happens to people. We live in it. And, and some of those things that we can't control. But what we can control is how much of God are we going to have in the middle of this situation in our lives? So he's in a really bad situation. He doesn't even have a clunker to sell. Okay, so he's, he's, he's already sold it all. He's got nothing. Finally, he finds a farm where he hires himself out to do the worst job that a young Jewish man can do, and that's slopping pigs. See, for a Jew, this is not good. They're not supposed to touch pigs. They're not supposed to look at a pig. You can't even, you know, kind of, you know, it's like he, you're not even supposed to eat them, nothing. And here he finds himself actually feeding the pig. Do you see what has happened? It's all turned upside down. We live in the turned up world right now. And maybe your marriage has gone like that. Maybe your thought life has gone like that. Maybe you find yourself now drinking a bottle of wine every day or, or getting a box of wine because, you know, you didn't drink two years ago, but now you find yourself, you've got a drinking habit. What, what has happened? It's happened to everybody. Something's been turned upside down. And this young man found himself in exactly the same place. But then it says he wised up. I know, what's this, the 1920s? Yeah, he wised up, you guys. He wised up and he came to his senses. He basically said, shoot, the guys, even the guys who are getting minimum wage at my dad's farm, they're full, they're being fed, and they've got it better than I do. What in the world am I doing? So from that part of the story, we're going to look at three transformational thoughts that this young man has. So wherever you are, I don't care if you're far, far, far away from God and you just came back this Sunday and just happened to catch us on Transformation Sunday, Or maybe you've walked with God, but you've kind of gotten a little distance between you and him. Or maybe you just had a bad week and you just don't sense his presence in your life. Just know this, we all wander. There's nobody sitting next to you that is, is, um, you know, built in such a way that they're not a wanderer. We all wander. We, we all get anxious. We all fear. We all doubt. We all struggle. We all have difficulties in relationships. So I want to look at the three things that he does. This idea of getting close and back to God. 
that, that is part of the transformational inner workings that all of us need to go through. So what's the, what's the first one? The first one is this. You have to get fed up with your life. You have to get fed up with your life. This young man finally comes to his senses and he says, I can't believe where the heck I am. You know, he's, he, so he gets fed up with his situations. He gets fed up with his circumstances. He gets fed up with the way that he's living. And we need to get to that place if we're going to experience transformation where we don't like where we're at. We don't like our battles with depression. We don't like the way that we are physically. We don't like our weight. We don't like the way that I am spiritually. I don't like the way that I respond to strangers. I don't like how selfish I am. Matter of fact, I don't know, I'm surprised anybody even likes me because I don't like me. See, there's a point when you gotta get fed up with the condition of your marriage, not out of your marriage. See, we think that's the only option is get out of your marriage. No, you need to get fed up with the condition of your relationship with your adult son. You know, that brokenness that's there. You gotta get fed up with it. You gotta get fed up with how things are going around our, in our lives. And this young man realized it. It's like, I'm fed up with this. Are you, are you lonely today? You know, have you said, you know, I'm fed up with being lonely? Well, that's, a, that's good. Because God, through his transformational principles, can lead you to a place where you're not lonely. I'm, f I'm fed up with the way me and my wife talk to each other. Well, good. That's the first part. You need to be fed up. And so there's a real benefit when you get fed up and you realize that your situation's not good. Let me just say this. Nothing is going to happen to you over the next seven weeks together unless you're fed up. So if you're here today, I hate to say this to you, and you think your life is just perfect, then you get the next seven weeks off. You, you, you really don't have to come back. Uh, and, and I know, why are you shaking your head yes? No, 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 no I'm only kidding, I'm only kidding. But I, seriously, if you think everything's, you think your marriage is the best it can be, you think your parenting's the best it can be, you think your finances is the best it can be, you think your emotions and spiritual closeness to God are, are all at peak human experience levels, you really don't need to be here. But if you're willing to admit that you're fed up with some of the things in your life, you might be on the path for transformation. He, he, he wasted it all. He had nothing left. He got desperate. He got hungry. And he finally came to his senses, the pathway to transformation. Jeremiah 29, 13 says it this way. And this is God talking. Okay, again, when Jesus tells a story, listen, and I'm not trying to say that the Bible isn't all God. I'm just saying that when we know that he's like, actually the one talking in the scene, you know, we want to listen, really listen to this. So God says to you this today, you'll find me when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else. Jeremiah 29, 13. Oh, you'll find me if you're serious about finding me. And if you're fed up with your life, good. You're right where you need to be to, to find me. People say, what's going on in America? You know, what's this terrible thing that's going on in America? Yeah, there's some really crappy things going on in America, but as, as a pastor, I'm like, ooh, this is good. America's beginning to stink real bad. You know, we're just messing up here, and we're messing up there, and it's like, oh, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. No, it's not all going to hell in a handbasket. Not if you're like the prodigal son, this young man, if you realize, wait a minute, I'm fed up. Like this is, we're at the point where we can find out that, oh yeah, I got to do something about that. Where we got to get fed up with, our, with what's going on in our lives. And God says, if you'll find me, if you be serious about what's going on in your life and you seek me, we can do something with that. It's almost like, I'm not sure I've worked this out philosophically, but it's almost like God wouldn't be good unless he let things get stinky. Some of you may be walking around and it's like, if God loves America, why are things going so bad? He's like, well, I love you so much, I'm going to let them go bad. Why? Because that's when you'll come looking for me. And that's where transformation occurs. So if you're having a crappy marriage experience right now, instead of blaming it on your spouse and saying, well, this must be the wrong one, it's like, no, maybe this is God saying, knock on your door and saying, this is your moment. This is your moment. This is where transformation can occur. 
I heard a quote from a, one of my favorite philosophers, um, Jordan Peterson, and this was a pull over to the side of the road kind of quote. And I, I literally pulled over to the ro- side of the road when I heard this quote. He said this, and I think it's biblically sound. In order to be motivated to act, you must assume that what you are moving towards is better or more important than where you are at this moment. In order to be motivated to go someplace, to move into another direction, you have got to be convinced that that is better than where I am right now. And the reason why that was so important is because it really challenged my rude thoughts about, do I think God is really better than where I am right now? Do I really think walking with God is better than where I am right now? Because that's, that's gutsy. I would have used another phrase, but I can't, we're in church. But that's gutsy to say that. In the Bible Belt, everybody believes in Jesus. I prayed the Romans prayer and I did all that other stuff. And, and that's cool. That's really cool, and, I, and I'm all for that, and there's a lot of, that's Bible. I don't want to make fun of it too much, or, you know, it won't end well for me. But, uh, but the point is this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say, Jesus said. It's like, why are you thinking about a different outcome when you really don't think I'm the better choice? Not moving forward means that you have decided that remaining as you are is better than you would be with God. See, this, we're not playing with transformation here. This is not some gimmick where we sell books and make money. We're not making any money. It's not some gimmick where we make our own little, you know, memory verses and we all get you to come into small groups and, and you know, whatever. This isn't, no. This is all of us deciding that where I am now is not to be compared to where I could be if I really follow through with this God thing. So if I ask you what you believe today, you might come up to me and say, well, Pastor Paul, I, have a cre- I believe in the um, Nicene Creed. Yes, in the Athanasian Creed. And I, I believe in, you know, uh, um, I believe in Calvinism. And we believe in once saved, always saved. And we believe that. You know what? Y- your creed is spoken by the actions you take. That's your real creed. So you got to ask yourself today, and, and that's, it sucks to be you and be here today. I, I'm going to have to be honest with you. It's like, I, I'm, I'm now hearing my sermon coming through me to you. And it's like, oh man, what a setup. It's like, but what a perfectly divinely God-inspired setup. Is that it's coming down to, do you think your life is better all by yourself without God? Or do you really believe that the second person of the Trinity who became flesh, died on the cross, rose again so that you may have new life, might have a better idea and bring your life to that place? That's the question you need to ask yourself if whether or not you want to do transform or not. Now, I will tell you this. You say, well, but you're telling me I have to do transform at your church in order to be a real Christian? No. If you have a system by which you spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, vocational, relationally, and whatever one I forgot, will take you there and grow you into Christ-likeness, do that. But there, without some sort of being renewed and transformed in the way that you think, we're just wishing upon a star. Uh, That's all it is. So this young man finally gets fed up. My life stinks. And God's like, ooh, good. That's step one. Step two. You're not going to like this one. He, He owns up to his own sin. So you get fed up with your life. Now it's time to own up to your own sin. It said he came to his senses and realized his responsibility for his condition. He said it this way, I have sinned against God and against you. He's like, I have done this. We're in a culture where we are canceling people who we think have done it to us. Have things been done to us wrong? Yes. Have crimes been perpetrated against us from people near and far different and similar? Absolutely. And we're going to make a list and when it went wrong and all this other stuff and keep track of all that stuff and, and, and penalize and do whatever. We could do that. Or we could say, listen, my life's screwed up right now and it's, it's on me. I got this. Me and God. 
I will own my responsibility. I will not blame my wife. I will not blame my husband. I will not blame my brother. I will not blame my father. Have they done wrong things in my life? Yes. I will not blame all white people. I will not blame all black people. I won't blame all baby boomers. I won't blame all males. I won't blame all females. I won't blame, you know, whatever. That if we're really going to be transformed, there's got to be a point. You know what? I've got enough crap going on in my life that I'm responsible for. And I, not, I need to own up too. Now, I know that was like serious. But I'm, I'm looking for serious. I'm looking for transformation. I'm looking for newness in my life. Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your sins are separated from your God and hidden his face from you. Your sins. See, this is the one time when you can't blame other people for where you are. You're as close to God as you may want to be. You can't blame the government for this. You can't blame COVID for this. You can't blame the Chinese for this. You can't blame anything. You're as close to God as you want to be. You're as close to the transformational process as you want to be. You know, I love it. Um, because God's really just challenged me personally that maybe, Paul, you're not desperate enough. Because you don't want it enough. Maybe you're not desperate enough. Maybe you need to be a little bit more desperate. That's the last thing I want to send up to God. Let me just give you a personal example. You know, my back hurt. Some of you tolerated me talking about it for the last two years. And, and, and it really was a life-changing experience to have that much pain. And, and just amazed I'm not hooked on drugs. Just amazed. That, and and um, so it was like I wanted a fix. I wanted a surgery. I want it now. I want to get fixed. I wanted the magical doctor. I wanted it, you know what I mean? I wanted God to just fix it all for me. You know what I got after two years? You know what I got offered? Yoga. Yoga. And I'm like, you're freaking kidding me. I hurt this bag and you're giving me yoga. Do you, have you seen my MRI? No, you need yoga, sir. So I was desperate enough that about four or five weeks ago, I went up to Roper St. Francis and physical therapy, met an amazing young woman named Whitney. And I'm like, all right, all right, I'm done. I, I need something different in my life. I'm desperate. And here I am, I'm almost pain-free. I mean, almost pain-free. Why? It's because I used to think, and I was telling Holly, as a, as a baby boomer male, uh, yoga's for wimps. Okay, yoga's for girls, because we thought that way. Don't think that way anymore. I am like the master yoga guy. Okay, I am super yoga man. I don't know if I just did something politically incorrect, but just forgive me, okay? But I'm like, I mean, I'm like this close to being a Zen Buddhist, okay? I mean, I am so close. But I can bend, twist, twist you know. As uh, a matter of fact, Susan came in the other day. I was all bent, and she saw me all bent up. She says, are you trying to send me a message? I was like, baby, whatever message you think I'm sending, let's go with that, you know? <laughs> so it's funny. I had to be willing to come to the other end of the way that I thought and try some other way that somebody else thought to find the solution. And that's what God's inviting you into. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge me, and I'll make your path straight. It will be refreshing to your bones. David committed adultery. He arranged the death of the husband. Man, this guy is a dirtbag. Yes, I just called King David a dirtbag. Okay, he's a royal dirtbag. She sees the woman, sends for her, brings her over, has relations with her, gets her pregnant, and in order to clean it all up, he has the husband killed, okay? That's pretty bad, okay? I would assume that if you've screwed up that bad, you're thinking right now, there is no hope for my marriage, no hope for my life. But that's not the case if you decide that you're fed up and if you're willing to own up. David calls out to God in Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is about me. This is not about how sexy she looked on that rooftop. It was her fault because she looked too hot. 
No, he's like, you know, this is me. This is my problem. He says, wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. I know this is about me, God. It's, it's, it's not about women. It's, it's not about white people. It's not about black people. This is the America's problem. It's not about Republican or Democrat. The America that's gone bad is me. It's my transgression, how I live. He says, I have sinned this and done an evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justify when you judge. So recognize your faults. That's daring because some of us want to blame it on everybody else. You'll never change. You'll never be transformed. You've got to believe that where you're being led by God is better than where you are now, or otherwise you'll never be motivated to act. You say, well, what if I dare to do that? Well, listen to God's response. Come now, let us reason together. Let's, I love it. He's not saying let's get smart. He's saying let's get honest. Though your sins are like scarlet, I know what you do. I know, what, I know what your problem is. It says, they will be as white as snow, and though they are as red as crimson, they will be like wool. Man, what a change of view. Yesterday, I mean last week, at about 2 o'clock, which was two hours after church ended, me and Susan jumped in my mighty snow wagon, and we drove up to Asheville. Because I have a paradigm and a rule that if it's snow... Uh, of a foot or a half more is in the, the South Carolina area, I will drive immediately and go play in it, okay? I mean, seriously, I, we just, we ju- you wanna go? Yeah, let's go, it's snowing in Nashville, let's go. We jumped in Nashville, we went up there, Asheville was, we stayed outside the Biltmore and we just like, this is amazing. All the Ashevillians were scared to death of the snow and so they were all in their holes and like little mice and so the whole city was just quiet. And at about 11 o'clock at night, we went down into the village and all you could hear was the sound of snow falling and hitting the ground. You know, if you've been there, you know what it's like to hear snow hit. It makes a noise. It's like this hush. And it just puts a hush on your soul. And we walked hand in hand and we, we just enjoyed it. We had a snowball fight. We, made, we tried to make a snowman. It was incredible. And then the following morning, we were like, okay, we're going to go find ourselves a really cool little cafe. And we're going to get ourselves a latte and a croissant. And we're going to get a little syrupy stuff on it. And it's going to be great. Well, we woke up. We got ready to go and went down and went out, checked out. Everything was shut down in Nashville. Everything. So we looked around for a breakfast place and we finally found one. It was called Bojangles. Okay, Bojangles was the only place in, in historical Asheville that was open. I pulled up to that window and I said, ma'am, you folks are open? And she said, yes, sir, but I only got three items. I'm like, that's okay with me. And I said, so, so you came to work today? She goes, yep, I live in the neighborhood next door and I just walked here and opened up. I said, listen, it's time to take down Hero's work here from all those hospitals and we need to wrap your Bojangles in one of those manners. It's because you're my hero today. And she made these, these biscuits. I don't even know what they were. I don't even know if they, I should have eaten them. But, but we ate them. But you know where we ate them? We, we pulled out of the, the drive-thru. We went around the, just around the building, around the building, and we parked right there. And we ate our Bojangles. You say, well, Pastor Paul, why wouldn't you go? You're in Asheville. You should have gone like the Blue Ridge Parkway. You should have gone, you know, gone some the Broad River or someplace like that. I tell you what, when there's a foot and a half on top of a Bojangles parking lot, it looks like you're in the middle of Wyoming. You know, we were just waiting for buffalo and moose to begin to move around. Because when the forgiveness of God lands in your life, because you've been fed up with your life and you owned up about your sin, you'll be amazed how God says that's beautiful. It makes your life begin to have beauty again, even in a Bojangles parking lot. Then the third thing that this young man does, I'm learning from this kid, is that he was fed up, he owned up, and then he offered up. You have to offer up yourself. This is the third thing that this young man did. He got fed up with his life and then he, he offered his life up. So when did he do that? Well, remember the story started this way. 
It said, give me mine. That was his theme. Give me mine. And maybe that's your theme right now. Give me mine. But then he returns with his life in his hands to his father and says, make me your servant. It's like, what happened in this kid's life that he would go from clutching to releasing? Transformation. So you say, and it's like, well, he didn't even do much. No, you're right. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It starts here. It doesn't start in, no, no, let me just say, the greatest religious activity that you will ever perform will be the way that you think in your own head. The greatest altar that you will ever build will be the construction of your own mind. Because from there, either praise will be given to God or grasping will be expected to take from God. So, listen to the notice of the change. He leaves saying, give me, and he comes back saying, make me. This is the decision of transformation. That's where we are today. It's when your heart moves from self-centeredness or awareness of self-centeredness to God-centeredness. It's like, yeah, you're right, I have screwed this. This is, this is me. From now on, if my life's gonna get better, I've gotta own up. I, I've, I've gotta be fed up and I've got to offer up my life to God. Now this doesn't all happen overnight. And I know God's still working on me. You'd think I would already have this figured out. But I, I, I have to say this, I, I have, though I was not made a perfect human being as soon as I accepted Christ, he has been leading me in perfection ever since the day that I met him. And even today, at, at, I'm just about to turn 63, I really feel like my brain is learning all over again. It's, it's as fresh as the day that I met him. And, that, and that's weird because a lot of Christians always complain how it gets old, don't they? Have you ever buy that salsa? Or not salsa, that's salsa. See, have you ever got, salsa is the drink, salsa, that, it's just the way I pronounce things that messes it up. But salsa, you know, the bubbling water, and you, you open up that can and you put it on the counter and you go out and you do it and you come back and you take a swig of it and all of a sudden it's like, you know, because it's, it's water. How dare you? It's just water. All the bubbles are gone out of it. Well, you know what? That happens in your, your Christ relationship too. Our sins, our wandering separate us between God and all of a sudden what should be sparkling, what should be effervescent, what should be rising up in us, all of a sudden just becomes flat. Maybe that's where you are today. This is all a process. The Apostle Paul said this, and, I, and I'm reading this because you need to know you're not, a, you're not by yourself in this. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect God's, the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're constantly being transformed, renewed day by day, that we're all in this process. It's a Greek word that where we get the word metamorphosis from. And you're familiar with that word when you think about butterflies. We go from egg to, to caterpillar to uh, uh, chrysalis to, to this incredibly beautiful creature. And then God invites us to this journey towards beauty, towards wholeness, towards fullness but we've got to be willing to take the journey. We've got to be willing to be fed up. We've got to be willing to own up. We've got to be willing to offer up. As we go into this closing but pivotal moment of expressions, I want you to listen to how the father who represents God in this story thinks and responds to you when you're fed up with you, when you own up about you. It says, while the young man was still distant, the father ran to him. Before you have fixed yourself, you have got to think transformationally. If you're willing to just say, God, I'm fed up. You got me. I'm the guy. I did it. Here's my life. Here's, here's my crap. I made a, I screwed up my marriage. It's like, boom. Okay. Wherever you are, God's like, I'll run to you. I'll kiss you and I'll give you my best. Is that 
Are you getting a better offer from your own life than that from God? Because that's what God's offering you through transformation. Luke 15, 20 says, filled with love and compassion, the father ran out to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him and gave him the best. He didn't wait for the son to come home. Didn't wait to find out what his theology was. It's while he was still distant. See, God's not waiting for you to knock on his door. He's already been just standing at your door knocking. He's been waiting for you to open up about your life being fed up, to get reasonable about the condition of what you need to own up to and what you, you need to give him your life. That's what God's been waiting for. He is waiting for you to decide that being closer to him is better than the way that you are right now. That's what we're doing with this. This is no gimmick to grow the church. This is the path forward for me, my emotions, my spirit, my finances, even my body, my relationships, my vocation, my country, my community, my friends. This is the way forward. Are you fed up with how America is right now? We don't need a riot. We don't need to separate into separate camps and protest the heck out of each other. What we need to do is to be transformed in the renewing of our minds. Let's get busy about that work. Father, we thank you as we come to this moment of communion, you are offering us, though it looks just like bread and juice to us, you are offering us your best, the very life of your son, Jesus Christ, so that we could live life, even though it life may look something very much like a Bojangles parking lot, but you could bring beauty even there. So Father God, today I make the decision that I'm fed up with my life the way that it is. Today I decide that this is on me enough blaming everybody around me. 40 years of hitting my father did not make me a better man. So God, today I end it now. It's me. I have sinned against you. The dysfunction is in me. So I offer up my life to you since you want it so bad because you showed you did on the cross here you can have it let me invite you into this moment with your heavenly father